We're going to read from Romans chapter 8. I'm going to ask my friend Andrew to come up. Uh, so in Romans chapter 8, I'm reading the first 14 verses. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 14. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life is Christ Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do in it, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sin for the flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness required much of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnal minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it is not subject of the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, These are the sons of God. Well, good morning. Uh, My name's Hugh Martin, as uh, Jonathan introduced me. And I must say, thank you very much for uh, allowing me to be here as part of the UBM reunion uh, in England. My uh, time with United Beach Missions uh, started uh, quite a number of years ago now, but it was one of your uh, worthies from England who was leading the team. Uh, It was in Douglas in the Isle of Man, And uh, Alan Wood was our leader on that particular uh, team that I had in Douglas on the Isle of Man. Uh, It was my first mission, as I say, and um, 17 minutes on an aeroplane took me from Belfast to Douglas. Um, There was one flight per week, I think, in those days, and if I could have got a flight earlier, I would have been home on the Monday, the Tuesday, or the Wednesday. I just felt out of my depth and everything else. But on Thursday, I got a contact or into a conversation with someone, and here we are, what is it, 30 years later, and really enjoying the work of beach missions. And I think if you've got into a beach mission team somewhere, and you've been able to speak to someone, 
you've really got the vision of what UBM is all about. And uh, now that I'm leading teams in Ireland, I remember back to Alan's opening team talk. And uh, it's amazing just what a beach mission leader, the impression that they can make in someone in regards to just the things that they say. And Alan's opening team talk was from the book of Psalms. And he talked about a verse in Psalms that said, in, uh, We will set up our banners in the name of the Lord. And every year when we put our UBM board up and we get our gazebo up and our flags and our windsock this year, I think we're setting up our banners in the name of the Lord. And it's really good to be able to do that year by year. And I have fond memories of my first United Beach Mission team. Um, I then was able to join teams in Clondudno and St. Ives over the years, and those were a tremendous blessing to me as well. And then as time passed by, of course, I met an English lady, and uh, she's now my wife. So I have quite a nice connections with England. And of course, in this audience this morning, I've got a mother-in-law who's English now. What more could you ask for? But uh, <laughs> uh, there we are. And I was telling someone yesterday, just in the course of conversation by way of introducing ourselves, I said, you know, UBM really stands for UB Mine. And uh, that's uh, what happened to me on the beach mission team, meeting an English girl. And um, it was all right because it wasn't a casual flirtation, it was serious. So you're allowed... (laughs) (laughs) So that's quite in order. If you meet a girl or a fellow on a beach mission team, if it's casual, you've got to watch yourself. But if it's serious, you're all right. And uh, there we are. This is what can happen. Now, uh, my text or my topic this morning is uh, filled with Christ. And um, it's quite interesting that that phrase never appears in the New Testament, filled with Christ. You'll get a phrase like, filled with the Holy Spirit, but um, we never read the phrase, filled with Christ. But it's certainly the truth is in the New Testament, and I have found, as I was doing my studies, that this truth should, uh, if it really gets a grip of us, it should transform and change each of us from the most timid and the most shy and the most reserved to the extreme of that type of personality and make us people who are effective for the Lord. But in order to grasp this truth, I have found that there's one or two things that we must say before we get to the title, Filled with Christ. A little bit like doing your music grades. Uh, No one jumps in at grade six. Now, you may be able to get the grade six in your music or grade eight in a short space of time, but you definitely don't jump in there. Uh, You've got to start at grade one. And uh, I would like to start this morning with one or two thoughts that have not got something particular to do with filled with Christ, but I feel if you don't grasp these, you will not grasp the truth of what it means to be filled with Christ. And so, let's start at the beginning. Uh, It's a very good place to start. Now, let me, filled with Christ. Now, in the Scriptures, there are three different thoughts that are given to us. In the Incarnation, we have this truth, Christ with us. And uh, then we have a truth in the Scriptures, which is, exaltation, and that is Christ for us. And uh, this screen, if you're looking at it, will say, 
there's a truth that says regeneration, and that is Christ in us. Now, those three words are theological terms, but I think they're simple enough for all of us this morning to grasp these different aspects of the truth when we come to filled with Christ. Now, when we think of incarnation, Christ with us, there are quite a number of scriptures that would immediately come to mind. Uh, We've got John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That is incarnation, Christ with us. And then uh, in John chapter 4, there's the famous story or the well-known story of the lady who had the five husbands and living with a man who wasn't her husband. And in the course of her conversation with the Lord Jesus, she said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. And then the Lord Jesus said very simply to her, I who speak unto thee am he. That is Christ with us, incarnation. And of course we know the famous, uh, the well-known verse in Matthew 1, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, that is not new to most of us this morning, I'm sure, but get that truth, Christ with us. Now, when you think of that, You've then got to know this, that the Lord Jesus is no longer with us. The Lord Jesus is no longer with us in his incarnation. Uh, The Lord Jesus himself said in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, advantageous, to your advantage or your profit, or it is better for you that I go away. He's not here anymore. In his incarnation. Because he said, if I do not go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So the Lord Jesus has departed. He has gone away. There are people who believe that the Lord is still walking this earth. He's not. He's no longer here in his incarnation. He is not with us in that sense any longer. Now, the next truth that needs to come is the truth of how he is for us. And this is a wonderful verse from Hebrews chapter 9. And it says in Hebrews chapter 9, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies or figures or pictures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So where is the Lord Jesus this morning? He's no longer with us. He is in heaven and he is for us. He is for us. And uh, those two truths are wonderfully brought together in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, incarnation, 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That was his humiliation. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Incarnation with us. Exaltation, he's for us. And this morning as we were gathered around the Lord's table, we rejoiced in the truth that Christ came into this world, he went to a cross, he was crucified, punished uh, for our sins on that cross, he shed his blood, he was buried, three days later he rose again, and now he is exalted, and we have a man in heaven who is for us at God's right hand. What a truth, one who is for us. But that brings us one step nearer to where we want to go this morning. And uh, the, where we want to be this morning is Christ filling us. But in order to get there, we've got to understand this truth. And the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 ends the chapter after he has spoken much about the glories and the person of the Lord Jesus. He says this, in regards to the gospel and the preaching of Christ, he says this, of which I am made a minister according to the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you to fully preach the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid or kept secret from ages and generations, but is now made manifest or is revealed to you. Now, what has been kept secret from generations? What is it, this mystery, this thing that was not known for generations and for ages? Well, here's what it is. Paul goes on to say, To them God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now pause a little moment and think of that. The God who is the word, who it says in John, was in the beginning with God and was God. We see him in incarnation. What a mystery. We see him in his exaltation and we can say, yes, he's exalted at God's right hand. But listen to this. This is the mystery. This is the thing that was not revealed for, uh, for generations. That same Christ can dwell in you and me. Think about that. You're a Christian this morning. The same Christ who sits at God's right hand, the same Christ who walked this earth, dwells in you. That's regeneration. That is a truth that the world cannot conceive, that other religions cannot understand, that the God of heaven, the Christ of God, should live in his people. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. A mystery is something, not something that is unknowable, but a mystery is rather something that was unknown up until the time in which it was revealed. 
Had it ever been conceived through the ages that God would live in his people? Yes, he lived amongst them, but to live in them, that was the mystery. And then there's another just definition here. It is not a problem, a mystery is not a problem that awaits a solution, but rather it is a truth that waits a revelation. And in the gospel, the revelation is this, that Jesus Christ will live and dwell in his people. A little child of six-year-old, Christ will dwell in them. A cripple, a blind, a deaf, a dumb, an old, a young, a fit, a healthy, Christ will dwell in us. What a truth. Regeneration, the God of heaven, will come and live in his people. That's the mystery that has been revealed to the the church and subsequently that we proclaim to the world. Something predetermined by God, a mystery is something predetermined by God in his sovereign counsels, kept secret and then revealed at the appointed time. And uh, the great truth is this, Christ in you. Now, The Lord Jesus introduced this subject to his disciples in the upper room ministry. And if you turn with me, please, to John chapter 14. Just very briefly, you'll understand that this is a truth that was even confusing to the apostles themselves. And uh, the Lord Jesus says in John 14 and verse number 20, he uses this little phrase, At that day you shall know that I am in the Father, you and me, And I in you. What did he mean? I in you. They did not understand. Then John 15 and verse number 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him. And then look at John 17 and the last verse. Verse number 26. The Lord Jesus said this. And I have declared unto them thy name. And I will declare it, the love with which thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. So this truth of Christ in his people is something that has been revealed to us by the Lord himself. But it's also something that was taught in the New Testament letters. John, or 2 Corinthians 13.5 talks about Jesus Christ in you. And then we've got Ephesians 3.17 Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's regeneration. Christ in his people. And as someone has well said, a Christian is someone, you take away the letter A and you've got Christ in. Christ in. Now that is the platform from now which we ask the question, oh yes, I'm born again, I'm saved, Christ lives in me. But how can I be filled with Christ? I understand what it means to have Christ in me. Not incarnation, not exaltation, but regeneration, Christ in me. But where do I get filled with Christ? How can I be filled? Uh, When I was young, I used to fancy myself as a footballer. I wasn't very good, but I bought a pair of boots that said George Best on them. That would do it. Uh, I uh, found that it didn't help my footballing skills. I got a little older, and I became a Christian when I was 12. But being a shy, not so easy, uh, and opening up conversations, etc., I I tried to be a good witness for the Lord, but more often than not, 
I discovered that I didn't get to take all the opportunities that I should have to speak for the Lord. Um, I began to go along to a Bible class in a town near Belfast where a, a man who was greatly used of God over many years used to preach every Tuesday evening. And I remember thinking to myself, if only I could get that man to come to work with me. If he could come to work with me, how I could witness to my work colleagues and friends. If I could be like him, what, how different my witness would be. And then I remember too, just as I was thinking about this, my first beach mission in Clondudno in North Wales, it was one of those teams with 20-something on the team and not enough for everybody to do something. But there were three people on the team, John Green, Vinnie Commons and Andy Stavell. And they had this thing going amongst them that they would try to have the best impersonation of Roger Carswell on the beach every day. (laughs) And I just somehow or other remember this. And every day, unknown to the children and probably most of everybody else on the team except the ones who were in their dorm, the thing was, who can do the best Roger Carswell leading the choruses? Or who can have the best Roger Carswell uh, jokes and quips? Who can do the quiz just like the way Roger would do it? And at the end of the thing, they marked themselves. And uh, what they were trying to do was this. They were aping or imitating someone that they wanted to be like. Now, that may be a mystery, but that's what they were trying to do. (laughs) And uh, the thing is this. But what would have been better if Roger Carswell could have come and lived in them? Then they could have been that man in that situation. Well, this is the truth that the Lord revealed to the church. It's best for you that I go away, because if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit cannot come. But if I go away, he will come and he'll live in you. And Christ can live in you and through you, not just in the land of Israel, but he can go throughout the world in the, in the, in the, in the lives and in the personalities of his people. And you think about that this morning. Each of us will go to our separate homes and our situations as we leave here today, but think about it. Christ goes with you to London. He lives in you. Christ goes with you to Liverpool. He's in you. Christ goes with another to Leeds. He's in you. He goes with some to Limerick and Londonderry. He even goes with some to Listudor. Have you ever heard of Listudor? It's a little townland in Northern Ireland, but someone there's a Christian and Christ lives in them. What a truth. He fills, he comes into his people, and that is the truth of regeneration and what Christ wants to do in each one of us. So I don't need to be like Roger Carswell. I don't need to be like Vinnie Conn. I don't need to be like any. Christ can fill me. And as I saw on a t-shirt yesterday in the little seminar, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You, me, young, old, talented, extrovert, introvert, whatever. Christ lives in us. Now, what does it then mean to be filled with Christ? Well, Mustn't let me do too many now, but we'll. Yeah, filled with Christ. What does it mean to be filled with Christ? Well, the first thing I've discovered is this to be filled with Christ means to be controlled by Christ. 
There's a number of stories in the New Testament that illustrate this. When the Lord Jesus stood up for the first time to preach in the synagogue, it says of those who listened to him that they were filled with madness. They were filled with madness. What did it mean to be filled with madness? It meant that they were controlled by a rage and by anger and by venom against Christ. They were filled with madness. And then there was another time when the Lord Jesus was in the temple on the Sabbath day, in the synagogue, and there was a man there who had a withered hand, and the Pharisees watched him as to whether or not he would heal the man on the Sabbath day. And whenever he healed him, it says of the Pharisees they were filled with anger, and they took him and they were going to put him to death. To be filled simply means to be controlled. To be controlled. And the question that we ask in this session is not whether or not Christ is in you, but whether he fills you. Does he control you? I heard a lovely story that I feel just encapsulates this. A man was preaching at a big tent meeting in Glasgow. And at that particular meeting, a man got saved. He came from a very uh, unchurched, and he was just a rough man off the streets. But he was in the meeting, and he got saved. Came to know the Lord. The preacher wasn't back in Glasgow for ten years. But when he was back in the same meeting, preaching at the same place, he saw this man on the front row, and he was thrilled. And when he saw him, he couldn't wait to get the meeting over, and he went down to him after the meeting, and he put his arms around him and he hugged him and he says, how's it been going? And they had their usual introductions and then he says, tell me, what has the Lord taught you in these last ten years? And he bowed his head a little bit and he says, well, the Lord hasn't taught me very much, but he says, I have learned this, that in all of my life, all I've got to do is to please him. And he said, well, what do you mean? Well, he says, many years ago I sorted it out before the Lord as to what, a, what time it would please him that I got up in the morning at. And he says, I get up in the morning to please the Lord. And then he says, I also asked the Lord, Lord, what time would it be pleasing to you that I should go to bed at night? And he says, I go to bed at night to please the Lord. And then he says, Lord, I've got money. How much money would you have me to give and how much would you have me to set aside? And he says, I just give my money to please the Lord. And then he says, Lord, I asked the Lord how he would have me to dress, and I, I just dress to please the Lord. And with tears, the preacher said this, that man had learned more than ever he realized. He was controlled by Christ. He was controlled by Christ. He was filled with Jesus. Christ was not only in him, but in every area of his life, Christ was there. And friends, this morning, that's where we want to get to. Lord Jesus, in every area of life, Lord, let me please you. My thoughts, my speech, where I go, my ambitions, my career, everything. Lord Jesus, fill me. We read in Romans chapter 8 about, two, um, uh, about those who are uh, born again and saved by the grace of God. And it talks about in the, in, 
each of the life of the believer, an old man and a new man. And the Apostle Paul said this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I, but Christ liveth in me. And that's what it means to be controlled by Christ. Someone wrote a lovely little poem and it says this, Once there lived another man in me, a child of earth and a slave to sin was he. But I nailed him to the cross of Jesus, and that man has nothing now to me. Another man is, now, is living now in me, and I count his blessed life as mine. I have died to all that was my life, and I am raised to share Christ's life divine. And that's what it is to be filled with Christ, that it's no longer I, but it's Christ living in me. Not only do we have control by Christ whenever we think of being filled with Christ, but satisfied with Christ means to be filled with Christ. The Lord Jesus once fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And after he had fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, here's what it says. They were all filled. Now, what does it mean they were all filled? They were satisfied. Satisfied. They didn't need anything more whenever they had eaten that meal that was given to them by the Lord Jesus. They were satisfied. Brothers and sisters, this morning, are we satisfied with him? Have we got something in our lives that we say is more pleasurable, more glorious, more satisfying, more endearing? Are we satisfied with him? A few weeks ago I heard the uh, Paul Scholes, who plays for Manchester United Football Club, being interviewed on the um, uh, BBC television. And um, Paul Scholes, I think, has given four interviews in all of his 18 years as a player at Manchester United. And the um, interviewer said to him is this, uh, you've been through the youth team, you've been here since you were a boy, you've been at Man United since you were uh, very young, over nearly 20 years as a player. He says, do you not think you've missed out or do you not regret having had the experience of playing for another club? And Paul School said, no. And then he says, do you think you could have achieved more if you'd maybe have played for the one of the bigger European teams. And he said, no. He said, um, well, do you not think it would be a good idea maybe if just to get the experience of playing for another club and maybe you could win something else? And he said, with Manchester United, I've won premierships, I've won FA Cups, I've won Champions Leagues. Why would I want to go anywhere else? He was satisfied with his lot in football. He didn't have the uh, desire or the, the uh, ambition of going anywhere else. He said, if I went anywhere else, it would be a step down. Are we satisfied with Christ? Are we so filled with him that the pleasures and the other things that this world may offer, we can say, I have Christ, what want I, what want I more? The Lord Jesus told that lady, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, he'll have a well of water, a well of life dwell, rising up within him that, shall never, uh, that will never extinguish. 
That woman said, Sir, give me this water. Those of us come to know the Lord, we've got the water of life. What more do we want? We're satisfied with him. O Christ, in thee my soul has found, and found in thee alone, the bliss, the joy, the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown, now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me, there's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. The old red redemption hymn book puts it like this, a little lady in the heart of London city, midst the dwellings of the poor, these bright golden words were uttered, I have Christ, what want I more? Spoken by a lonely woman, dying on a cold stone floor, having not one earthly comfort, I have Christ, what want I more? Brothers and sisters, this morning, read the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 5. And there, one speaks of her beloved. And she says at the end of it, He is altogether lovely. That's our Christ. Filled with Him. Satisfied with Him. And then finally this morning, to be filled with Christ not only means to be controlled by Christ and satisfied with Christ, but it also means to be replete with Christ. Now, forgive me for that word, but it's simple and it says exactly what I want to communicate just now. To be replete means to be over, it means to be completely full. It means to have abounding and super abundant fullness. To, to fill completely and to swamp up until there's no more room for anything else replete. I was talking to Wesley, my friend there, who was, who, uh, you all know Wesley Medan, and he was telling me yesterday about his new Mercedes. And all I could do is tell you this, that it's replete with gadgets. It seems to be anything that you want in a car, just open the door and it's in that Mercedes, a three-liter Mercedes Cabriolet. I tell you no more, but it's replete with gadgets. A friend of mine was in business in America. He went to one of these hotels where they had gold taps in the bathroom, solid gold taps. And just to illustrate the extravagance, every day at 2 o'clock and 6 o'clock, no, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 8 o'clock at night, in the elevator, came down from the upper penthouse to the lower area, the, the left and out of the left walked 12 ducks and they made their way into the swimming pool. That is being replete with luxuries. If that is what they were going to in regards to entertaining their guests, imagine what the hotel is like. Replete. Now, friends, this morning, we ought to be replete with Christ. What does it mean? Well, it simply means this. There was a woman once, and she broke an alabaster box of ointment, and she put it on the feet of the Lord Jesus. And it says this. The aroma of the ointment filled the house. You walked into that house and the Lord was in that room, but that room was filled with an aroma. You walked into the kitchen. It was filled with an aroma. The hallway, the bathroom, the bedroom, that house was filled with an aroma. It was replete with fragrance. 
And friends, this morning, that's what and where we ought to be when people look at us in Christ. Of the New Testament church, it says, of the unbelievers, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Do people take knowledge of us that we've been with Christ? Do they see something that is just an aroma, a fragrance, a beauty, a loveliness that we're filled with him? That beats all the other arguments. A shining face. There's no greater example of someone being replete with Christ in the New Testament than Stephen. Turn with me please to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7 you have the first Christian martyr. The church's first martyr. And in chapter 6 of Acts, Stephen gives a defense of the faith. Now, I know we're all, there's some here are very good at that. They're very good at going to the debating societies. Very good at standing in the open air. And we'll put on meetings to defend the faith. Our apologetics. Well, Stephen was a man who was supreme in his apologetics. Acts chapter 6 illustrates that. But look at verse 15 of Acts chapter 6. It says, in regards to the whole council of these Jewish elders, the senate of the Jewish council who sat around them, all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, they saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. They heard his words, but they saw a beauty in his countenance that they could not resist. He was replete. He was filled with Christ that oozed out of him. And then look at the end of chapter 7. It says, after Stephen has given his account, in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up steadfastly into heaven and he saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and they closed their ears, and they ran upon him with one accord. They threw him out of the city, they stoned him, they threw their clothes down at the, uh, the witnesses down at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, and they stoned Stephen as he called upon God, saying, and this is what he said, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. And I kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said that, he fell asleep. There was a man, even in the face of his persecutors, they saw his face like the face of an angel. Whenever he was being stoned, he says, Lord, forgive them. That's Christ-likeness. And then he says, Lord, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's what it is to be filled with Christ. Richard Dawkins has no answer to that. David Attenborough has no answer to that. And do you know something? Every one of us can go back to where we belong, filled with Christ, and the world can be lit up with lights and salts that the world cannot resist. They will take knowledge of us that we have been with Jesus. I had, the, I had the opportunity of giving Richard Dawkins a tract. He was in Belfast a few weeks ago. I gave him a little UVM on becoming God's friend. I thought that would be good for him. 
I gave him a second tract, where will you spend eternity, and we had a little conversation. But I don't know where the words will go, but I would love to think that he saw something of Christ in those of us who were there, because they cannot have an answer to that. I was talking to Vinny on Friday. He says, I'll give you a good illustration. And I'll finish with this. Two men, uh, many years ago, were gold hunting in the hills of America or Canada. And they made a pact with one another. If we find gold, don't, we'll not tell anyone. So they made a vow, a covenant with one another. If we find gold, you will not tell anyone, and I will not tell anyone. And uh, after two years searching, they found their gold. And uh, in order to get the maximum benefit of their find, they had to go into the local village in order to get tools. And they reminded each other of their covenant, don't tell anyone we have found gold. And uh, they, whenever they went into the town, one went this way and another went that way in order to get their tools and equipment. And uh, after a while, one of them noticed that there were people following the other man. And they immediately said, he's told somebody he's broken his promise. But the other man noticed there was people following him as well. And he says, he's broken his promise. And so later on in the day, they got together and they said, well, why did you not keep your promise? He says, I kept my promise, but you didn't keep yours. He says, I didn't tell anybody. And they looked at each other and then they turned to the people who were following. He says, "Um, why are you following us? And uh, they said, well, you've found gold. And they looked at each other, and then they looked at their friends, and they said, well, how did you know? And the crowd said to them, we saw it on your faces. We saw it on your faces. That's being taken with a satisfaction that's in that cannot be hid, filled with Christ. Wherever you go, whatever you do, Lord, fill me. Let me be the person with my personality, with my weaknesses, with my failures, with my shortcomings, with my lack of gifts. Lord Jesus, just fill me. Control me. Satisfy me. And Lord, live through me. I shouldn't, maybe, uh, let me show you this verse because it's, one, it's just in my mind as I finish. 2 Corinthians in chapter four, uh, 2. 2 Corinthians in 2 because this may help you as you try to live this truth out. And uh, this is where we will finish. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse number 14. And this truth really that we've uh, emphasized this morning is encapsulated in these verses. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Paul says this, Now thanks be unto God, who always gives us, uh, who always causes us to triumph in Christ, and manifests or reveals through us the aroma of His knowledge in every place. For we are unto God a sweet aroma of Christ to those that are saved and to those that are perishing. To the one we are an aroma of death unto death. To the other we are an aroma of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Christ filling where I go and people seeing him in you and in me. Lord, our prayer is simple. Fill me. Amen. May God bless his word uh, to our hearts.